Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 249. Today's big Bible question is, why does the Bible say that sexual immorality is so dangerous? So, hello, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Today's Bible readings contain something for everybody. Two wonderful psalms, including one that was made into an excellent U2 song, an Ezekiel passage where God tells Ezekiel to cook his bread on human dung, like poop, and when Ezekiel balks and pleads, allows him to cook it on cow dung instead. And no, I'm not making this up, and yes, I'm aware that I've mentioned poop for two straight days in the introduction. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be honest with you. If it's in the readings, I'm probably going to bring it up at some point. Turning to our Samuel passage, though, we find that 1 Samuel does not disappoint yet again. This is the most fun we've had reading the Bible in a long time, right? You have this gem of a line from the amazing Abigail about her ill-tempered and probably abusive husband in 1 Samuel 25, 25, when she's talking to David and she says, My lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. (laughs) Zing? Well, Nabal gets what's coming to him later on. As a note of trivia, the Agada, one of the ancient rabbinical commentaries on the Bible, actually notes that Abigail was one of the four most beautiful women in the Bible. Now, for those asking for the other three, it was Esther, Sarai, Sarah, and Rahab. So, I guess that means men have been ranking the looks of women for thousands of years, those disgusting pigs. We're also going to read a great scene in Samuel today where David basically tells his men to put on their gun belts and saddle up their horses because blood's about to flow. Or, you know, something like that. I guess they didn't have gun belts, but they did have swords to strap on, so that's pretty cool, right? Well, stay tuned. Our readings today include the aforementioned 1 Samuel 25, Ezekiel 4, Psalms 40 and 41, and 1 Corinthians 6, which is our focus passage, and contains the strongest possible warning against sexual sin there could be. It is literally an eternal life at stake situation. So let's read our passage and then discuss it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified. 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Well, sometimes we are tempted to make light of sin and to be in denial about its danger. And, you know, Paul really sobers us up quickly here in this passage. I want to read that middle part one more time. It's not cheerful, but it's important. Verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Those who live a lifestyle of unrepentant sexual sin or verbal abuse or greed or stealing will not inherit the the kingdom of God. Full stop. Now, you might be asking, wait a minute, I asked Jesus, Jesus into my heart, that means I'm saved, right? And here's the sobering truth Paul is pointing us to. A person made righteous and saved and cleansed by Jesus will not live a lifestyle of unrepentant sexual sin or verbal abuse or idolatry or adultery or drinking, etc. That doesn't mean you won't ever sin. I think we will. But it does mean that you and I won't be dominated by any of those sins. Further, according to Paul, sexual sins appear to be more serious than many other kinds of sins. Well, how can that be? Let's bring in pastor and writer David Platt to give us some insight here. He says, Sexual sin is different. Recognize that sexual sin is extremely serious in the eyes of Christ. It is at this point that I want to address the thought of the words that are often said in circumstances like this. People might say, well, you know, sexual sin is just like every any other sin. He's guilty of this or she's guilty of that. But I'm guilty of this over here. So what's the difference? What I want you to hear, says Platt, based on the word of God this morning, is that those kinds of statements are unbiblical. Sexual sin is different. Now hear me out. I'm not saying sexual sin separates me from God while another sin doesn't. All sin is the same in that it separates us from God. No question about that in scripture. But you see here, 1 Corinthians six eighteen: all other sins a man commits are outside his body. But here's the difference. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. There's a big difference here. Now, what we are not clear on, well, well, we're crystal clear there's a difference, but we're not exactly clear on what Paul means by that. Even if we were to study this passage, there's still a little ambiguity here, and we can take hold of Scripture and see over and over again, though, that God has chosen to judge sexual sin very harshly. Deuteronomy 22 through 24, Leviticus 19, Leviticus, Leviticus 21, Proverbs 5, 6, 7, 9. This passage, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 2, it's all over the scripture. So what's the difference? Well, here's what we do know. 
Paul is undoubtedly pointing out that sexual sin is so harmful and so controlling and so dominating, maybe even more than other sins. This sin is so deep, it penetrates so deep in our hearts and our lives, it dominates and controls us. There is that compulsion, the inner desire there that absolutely shatters our lives and shatters our relationships and shatters any trust we have with the people that are closest to us. This sin is profound and penetrating as a result Any attempt to treat this kind of sin, sexual sin that is, lightly, is extremely, very, very dangerous. Not only is it different, but sexual sin is devastating. And Platt says, I want you to see how that unfolds in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you see the picture here? The whole trinity is involved in this thing. Paul starts with God the Father in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. If you're a Christ follower, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. He sent his son to die for it. That means that you and I are not free to do what we will with our bodies. Then he brings Jesus in in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall that I then take the members or parts of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Did you catch that? Asked Platt. Your bodies are members of Christ. This is a picture of how your body is united with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the closest, most intimate of ways. You are one with him. And what that means is that when you take your body and you commit sexual sin, then you have taken the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ and involved him in illicit sexual activity. You have united the body of Christ with a a prostitute. And Paul says, this is unthinkable, unfathomable, never, no, 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 no. He asks at the end of verse 15, why would you ever do that? Then he brings the Holy Spirit in in verse 19. Do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So sexual sin is not a mistake or slip up. It's not a biological act. It's a desecration of God himself. That is the picture of sexual sin here. I can't help but think, says Platt, with the way we have treated it lightly in the church that many people go into sexual sin simply thinking, well, it's forgivable, but not giving thought to deep, painful consequences, not just for them, but for the body of Christ himself and for the relationships that are shattered and the life that is devastated completely by that one act. Our bodies belong to the Lord. Let's embrace that. Unite ourselves with Christ, with his spirit indwelling us. If we have any love for God and any concern for his glory and him personally in our lives, then let us avoid this kind of sin with everything we have. Let's fight it. Let's run from it. Flee from it. Let it get nowhere near your lives because it is that serious. It's a very sober warning from Pastor David Platt. Let's continue on with 1 Samuel 25 verse 1. Samuel died and all Israel assembled to mourn for him and they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness of Paran. A man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent ten young men instructing them, Go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, Long life to you and peace to you, peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. 
Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf, and they waited. Nabal asked him, Who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shearers and give them to these men? I don't even know where they're from. David's young men retraced their steps, and when they returned to him, they reported all these words. David said to his men, All of you, put on your swords. So each man put on his sword, and David also put on his sword, and about 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed at them. The men treated us very well when we were in the field. We weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. They were a wall around us both day and night, the entire time we were with them herding the sheep. Now consider carefully what you should do, because there's certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Abigail hurried, taking two hundred loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servants, Go ahead of me, I will be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she rode the donkey down a mountain pass hidden from view, she saw David and his men coming towards her and met them. David had just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his males survive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt down with her face to the ground and paid homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, The guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool, Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, didn't see the, young, the my lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my lord... As surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. My Lord's life is tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living, but he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stone from a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord... May you remember me, your servant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal wouldn't have had any males left by morning light. Then David accepted what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. See, I have heard what you said and have granted your request. 
Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was in his house, holding a feast fit for a king. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk, so she didn't say anything to him until morning light. In the morning, when Nabal sobered up, his wife told him about these events. His heart died, and he became a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as a wife. She stood up, paid homage with her face to the ground, and said, Here I am, your servant a slave to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail got up quickly and with her five female servants accompanying her, rode on the donkey following David's messengers and so she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel and the two of them became his wives. But Saul gave his daughter Mashal, David's wife, to Palti, son of Laish, who was from Galam. Sing this with me. This is 40. Oh, I mean, Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise for our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, there are more than can be told. You do not delight to sacrifice in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, See, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. Psalm chapter 41, verse 1. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak maliciously about me. When will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and talks. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, and he won't rise again from where he lies. Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. 
But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 1. Now you, son of man, take a brick, set it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it, then lay siege against it. Construct a siege wall, build a ramp, pitch military camps, and place battering rams against it on all sides. Take an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between yourself and the city. Face it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This will be a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie down on your left side and place the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. You will bear their iniquity for the number of days you lie on your side, for I have assigned you the the years of their iniquity according to the number of days you lie down, 390 days, so you will bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these days, lie down again, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Face the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and prophesied against it. Be aware that I will put cords on you so you cannot turn from side to side until you have finished the days of your siege. Also take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them in a single container and make them into bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the number of days you lie on your side, 390 days. The food you eat each day will weigh 8 ounces and you will eat it at set times. You will also drink a ration of water, a sixth of a gallon, which you will drink at set times. You will eat it as you would a barley cake and bake it over dried human excrement in their sight. The Lord said, This is how the Israelites will eat their bread, ceremonially unclean, among the nations where I will banish them. But I said, O Lord God, I have never been defiled. From my youth until now I have not eaten anything that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts, and impure meat has never entered my mouth. And he replied to me, Look, I will let you use cow dung instead of human excrement, and you can make your bread over that. And he said to me, Son of man, I am going to cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They will anxiously eat food they have weighed out, and in dread drink rationed water for lack of bread and water. Everyone will be devastated and waste away because of their iniquity. Well, amen. Friends, a sobering passage today, and it points back to the sobering passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Thanks be to Jesus that he has paid the price for our iniquity. But let us soberly run from sin and flee to Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Good day and Godspeed.